Hello, welcome everyone to This Week in Mormons, the Sisters Edition, with your hosts, Arianne Smith and Tiffany Hales. Here we are again. We're actually here for round two. We are round two. We did record a podcast last two, last two month. weeks ago. That was we, last month. Yeah. Two weeks ago. But technical difficulties, I know probably anybody who knows this is not surprised. It's the lost episode. It is the lost it episode. It will never be found. But fortunately, <laughs> Jeff had done temple predictions. So he actually had two podcasts scheduled to come out that week. And so we did not... Technically, Twim did not miss a week. That's right. Because he was able to release the Temple Prediction podcast. And we actually have a lot of the, some of the same stories that carried over because after Temple Predictions, they had conference recaps. Yes. So we've had some stories that have been sitting for a couple weeks. We do. We've got stories that have been sitting for a couple weeks. And then there's a few stories that we originally talked about that I was like, mm, I don't want to talk about that anymore. Yeah. So. Some is lost forever. But. Some is lost forever. <laughs> Jeff still believes it's somewhere out there in the cloud somewhere, but nobody can retrieve it. Alas, was not meant to be. <laughs> it was not meant to be. So. Anyway, here we are. Okay. Fall is upon us. Mm -hmm. We had big changes in the weather here in the last week. It was had been very mm -hmm. lovely, and now it's cold and windy. It's cold and windy, and... It feels very much like sweater weather. Yes, it does. But it's kind of nice after a hot summer. It is so. kind of nice after a hot summer. And life is carrying on. My life is completely packed with school events, sporting events, children's activities, so which I am not complaining about because a year ago I was kind of missing a lot of that. That's right. I'm happy to be back. But man, we came back with a bang. Yes, yes, you did. <laughs> Well, as you know, I got to have the funnest evening ever tonight. So one of your activities involved the choir concert for your 14-year-old daughter. And you decided that perhaps the three-year-old should not be invited to the choir concert because no, no, three-year-olds in choir concerts don't play well. So originally you had asked me, hey, can you come over and babysit him? And I said, yes. And then I was like, oh, no, I'm going to come over and take whisk him away on an adventure. He had the adventure of a lifetime. I do not know who had more fun. So She took him in the RV. I took him in the RV. To winterize the RV. To winterize the RV. So we had been camping this last weekend. So, of course, we had to empty out uh, the, the used water tanks. There are two used water tanks. There's the water that goes down your regular drains. And then there's the poo water. He was so fascinated with hooking hoses up to the RV and because part of the hose has a clear, is clear. And so watching, he could actually see. Oh, yeah. He oh. could actually see the poo come out okay. of the hose into the drain. No wonder he was talking about this so much when you got home. It's a three-year-old stream. This is a three-year-old stream. When I dream. asked him his favorite part of the day at bedtime, I said, was it riding in the RV? And he said, no, it was the poo. <laughs> Like, oh this gosh. coming from a man who's not very interested in potty training. I know. Maybe this will spark his interest. <laughs> anyway, so yes, we, we strapped his car seat into the yeah. RV and drove him around. And uh, Darren and I, we have no grandchildren yet. We dreamed of this is what our life would be like if if one of our children would actually produce a grandchild for you're, us. You're close. It could be any day now. Well. I wouldn't say I'm that close. <laughs> I at least have a couple of kids that are married, so that's a good start. It's close. <laughs> so anyway, it was great. It was so good not to take him to that concert. Also, this was fascinating to me. The high school choir concert, they wore their masks while they sang. 
What? I was kind of disappointed. I thought maybe they'd take them off and spread out like, you know, like the, the, the tab cats. Like the tab cats. No, I guess maybe they didn't have enough room to spread out. And maybe I guess, they didn't have the COVID testing that the tab cats had. That's true. They had that rapid test before they started. So, you know, you do what you got to do. Yeah. They still sounded great. Speaking of the tab cats, I loved seeing them at conference. Oh, yes. I know you guys talked about this. Even though they were spaced in the recap. apart. But I anxiously turned on music in the spoken word last Sunday to Ooh. see if they would show up live again. No, mm. previously recorded. So bummer. I'm anxious to see when that will return. Maybe they're just easing back into this. Oh, well, exactly. I mean, maybe it was just a lot of work for them in their preliminary rehearsals to get enough music together for conference. Right. Yeah. I mean, they did that pretty fast. They, so. did, they did do that pretty fast. And I'm curious, like, is this sustainable, this testing like, is this how it's going to work? Like, if they do music in the spoken word, yeah. are you just every time you come to rehearsal have to be tested first? I'm maybe they think it's too much hassle, so maybe they're writing it out till next yeah. conference. I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. But I got the impression from all of the um, write ups and everything on mm -hmm. it that when they were returning to in person practices, it sounded like they were here to stay. It right? sounded like they were here to stay. Yeah. So, well, we'll keep an eye on it because yeah. I do love my music in the spoken word. Well, Every week. <laughs> see, your your church is later than mine. Music in the spoken word is on right in the middle of my sacrament meeting. So, oh. but once the year rolls over and we move to the later sacrament meeting time, mm -hmm. then yes, I will be able to partake of music in the spoken word while I get dressed for church. Very, very nice. We hope they're back by then. Yes. All right. Should we do some stories? Yes. This is what we're here for. Let's move into stories. Okay. Of members... Of the church in the news. <laughs> Members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in, in the, the news. news. That's right. Okay, first one we have tonight. This is breaking news, hot off the press today. Um, Salt Lake Tribune. Written up in the Tribune. And this is about Elder Stevenson. Gary E. Stevenson um, he has, there's a, he has ownership, partially stock ownership in a company that's about to go public. So there's a Logan-based company, and he sits on the board of this now, company. I thought this was really interesting because I didn't mm -hmm. know this. So it's called iFit, yes. but it's also known as Icon Fitness. Mm -hmm. But what I did not know is they are responsible for all of the Nordic track I know. Equipment. I was like, I know uh, that name. Exactly. I, and that's been around forever. That's been around forever. And, and it says they're a major computer with Peloton. Yes. Um, but, I mean, they've been around way longer than Peloton. In fact, yeah. I didn't even realize Nordic track was still booming. Oh, uh, you know, I, I've uh -huh. seen there, like if you, well, I was going to say, if you go, it, it used to be you could go into Sears and see all their stuff, but mm -hmm. Sears went belly up, at least in our area. Right. So you can't, but, uh, but yeah, I, 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 and they've probably gotten in, I'm sure they've probably followed Peloton's lead yes. and done With the, the subscription the service. Subscription and classes. Yes. Yeah. And it says they also are, you know, they have a lot of athletic gear. There's like yes. a whole array of fitness related okay. items that this company that this All company right. works with but well, elder let's talk about how yes. elder stevenson is involved elder stevenson was like one of the founder original like involved in this company from its very origins he, he started it from back its very origins. in the 70s yes long before he was a general authority yes. so um and it says it is 
on its way to going public. It was supposed to go public yes. last week, but they, de- they delayed. So when it does go public, he has 43.4 million shares that will be given to him or that he's holding currently. Now, please translate that into dollars for us at the expected public offering because uh, it's staggering. It's amazing. <laughs> $911 million. Okay. That's nearly $1 billion. <laughs> I know. That's this a- is like mind blowing to me. Have we ever had, this is going to sound like super. <laughs> no, super, I know where you're going on this. This is going to sound super just. Superficial. Official, yes. Have we ever had a general authority this rich? Well, that's what I've wondered. <laughs> Have we ever had at least a member of the 12 that's approaching billionaire status? Right. I would venture to say no. I mean, we've had some. Marriotts and huntsmen's floating around. Yes, in positions but like seventies, never, never this high up. Yes, and I don't even know if they're this rich. <laughs> well, the no, huntsmen probably, probably huntsmen's. But um, anyways, what is interesting about this story is the church um, back in the nineties, uh, the first presidency of the church asked the general authorities to gradually withdraw from any positions like serving on boards of corporations, yes. like kind of dabbling in things like that. They really wanted them to be just all in on their callings. Yes. Um, they didn't want any like gray area, you know, between yeah. church and someone's business and um, just, you know. They, they wanted the focus to be yeah. strictly on the service required as a member of the 12 or, right. or as a general authority, but especially as a member of the 12 because – I can't even begin to comprehend the demands on their time. Right. So this is very rare because he has continued to serve on this board throughout his church service. Did he has he continued to serve or did they call him back? It's, I thought he had, Oh, did they call him back? I thought he had taken a break. Oh, maybe he did take a break cuz he it said he's nominated to become a board director. Yeah. So as part of its public offering. So when he got called, I believe in 2008 is what the article said into mm-hmm. the presiding bishopric. He gave everything up then, and he was in the presiding bishopric, well, was it 2008 or 2012? Uh, I think it was 2012 to 2015. To 2015. Yeah. So he was, let's see, from 88 to to 2008. 2008, he was chief operating officer of this company. Yeah, and then it says he resigned to accept a full-time assignment with the church and then served as presiding bishop from 2012 to 2015. So from basically from 2008 until now, he has not had any, while he still has maintained ownership in the company, he's not had any leadership position. Well, with this IPO, they have nominated him to be on the board of directors. Right. And I'm sure that because he's a founding exactly member, it looks really good, I think, on it, the IPO. That's what I'm guessing is they probably did it because it makes their IPO stronger. And the church gave him what is known as an exception yes. to the you can't be on a board rule to yes. be able to serve on this board says, of directors. The article says the a church church spokesman said he received a special exception. Um, resulting from his legacy shareholdings and his role as co-founder of the corporation. They said such permissions are considered and granted under exceptional circumstances on a case-by-case basis and are rare. Okay, I'm trying to decide how interesting it is. 
I'm trying to decide how I feel about this. It's fascinating. It is fascinating because I, to a certain extent, I see both sides of the coin right. in terms of, hey, this is a company he founded. It's going public. That's right. a big deal. It probably strengthens the public offering to have him on the board of directors. Uh-huh. You know, is he only going to serve on the board of directors for a small period of time and get make sure everything stabilizes right. and then turn it over? I mean, that would kind of be my guess. Well, and, I don't and know. And he is young. I forget how young he is. He is only 66 years old. Oh. So I'm sure that has, that maybe that factors into yeah. it. And he, that he has given so much of his like young yeah. professional life to, yeah, if, to the church. It's true. If you think about that, if he began his church church, church service in 2008, I mean, he's basically early fifties when yeah. he's beginning his church service. So maybe, maybe for them, their their thought is, you know, he has sacrificed so yeah. much of his young professional life. Let's make an exception and let yeah. him do this for a little bit and yeah. cash out on those stocks. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's going to come back in tithing. So. <laughs> well, that's very true. But um, but yeah, it, it's just kind of an interesting thought because um, you know, I don't obviously I don't see mm-hmm. any conflict of interest in serving on this company and working for the, and, and being an apostle because, you know, the, the church has no ties to this company. Right. You know, it's a little different when, when some of the brethren left their board of directors positions for, you know, beneficial life or mm-hmm. Deseret book, you know, those were, are obviously organizations that are owned by the church. Right. Um, and, uh, but, uh, yeah, trying to juggle both of those, but maybe mm-hmm. he's been juggling a lot of behind the scenes stuff for, uh, I fit for a while and we just don't know it. Right. Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. It's so interesting it's, to me. Seriously. Also, I just have to say, can you imagine you're about to become a billionaire, but you're giving your life to church service? <laughs> that would just be real. That, I mean, think about it. Yeah. I mean, he's, I mean, I'm sure he's been financially well off for a very long time. So it's not like he just won the lottery, but it's also not like you're going to be like, okay, the stock did great. Let's go buy a summer house. Like, no, you don't have time for any of that. Exactly. You don't have time for a summer house. (laughs) You get one month off in the summer. (laughs) I imagine all of that profit's just going to go right back into some other investments or savings because you don't have any time to spend it. Exactly. (laughs) Well, I'm sure he probably has a very good financial planner, I would guess. (laughs) Yeah. But the other thing that's really interesting in this article is there is another gentleman who was recently given emeritus status, a guy by the name of Robert gay. And right. he is also going to be on the board of directors and he's one of the founders of this company. Mm-hmm. Now his wealth, he, it's it's paltry compared to yes. uh, Elder Stevenson. He's only going to get $313 million. Yeah. Um, 385, so, something like that. Yeah, so. exactly. So yeah. And he just, he's Emeritus, Since he's emeritus status right now, so it's the like serving on the board thing doesn't apply non, to him. Non-issue, but yeah. it is interesting that both of them um, we're pretty high up in this company. Yes. So, well, it's a very, it's very interesting to think about and kind of wrap your head around. Yeah, it is. And it's based out of Logan. Yes. Who knew Logan, Utah? Seriously, there are several like really profitable, Mm well-off companies that are based out of Logan. So I guess it's going on in the cash Valley. Huh? Okay. There you go. All right. Now let's move on to kind of a little bit of a sad story. 
that just um, actually was released yesterday. Many of you, I'm sure, have seen the movie The Other Side of Heaven and mm-hmm. The Other Side of Heaven 2, which was based on Elder and Sister Groberg's life. Well, Sister Groberg passed away on Saturday, October 9th, 2021, mm-hmm. in Bountiful, and she was 87 years old. So mm-hmm. she clearly lived a good life. Although it doesn't say so in this article, I did read a clip earlier that um, Elder Groberg and her children were there with her. She was surrounded by family. But um, she, you know, if you've watched those movies, I've watched them several times. Mm -hmm. I love them. Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway. In the first one. In the first (laughs) one. Um, You know, you can see Mm -hmm. she really served alongside Elder Groberg in many capacities. Yes. I have to say... That second one that came out, that is where she really, I mean, the oh, first you one. you saw her strength. Anne Hathaway played her and it, she didn't yeah. have like a big part. It was more yeah. about Elder Groberg. But that second movie that came out, you really got to see how much she had put into this. Exactly. And how much faith she had and how much, how, like all the trials yeah. their family went yeah. through. So I feel like I didn't really know a lot about her until I watched the second movie. I completely mm-hmm. agree. Um, and she, she was amazing. She was absolutely mm-hmm. amazing to just, you know, they get this call. If, if you remember the story, just, you know, they get a letter from Salt Lake saying, Hey, mm-hmm. you know, come down and see us. And, and, or no, they get a letter addressed to them as mission presidents before they even got the call. And they're like, mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Oh, I guess we're mission guess presidents we're leaving. now. <laughs> um, but one thing that was really interesting is when she, when asked about the accuracy of the, of uh-huh. the movie, uh, she quipped that it was Hollywood, Hollywoodized because Elder Groberg was never as good of a dancer as portrayed in the movie. <laughs> I thought that was so cute. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> but, you know, this piece on her life, um, I believe this was from the Deseret News, mm-hmm. um, or it might have been from the the church news. I, I don't recall right off the top of my head. You know, just kind of goes through some of the um, some of the things that she experienced in the biography kind of of her life. And um, she said in response to Elder Groberg's service, because as we know, he has served the church for years, when your husband is giving his all, it doesn't separate you even while he's away. It really doesn't separate it, separate you. You are part of it with him. And I really, I liked that. That was interesting. It also said in this article that when they were getting sealed in the temple, the sealer oh, said, this is funny. said something to her about you're about to be a church widow or something like that. Yes. What was the quote? The sealer told Jean not to worry about being a church widow and having her husband serve. I wanted him to be active in the church, and he has been very busy, she oh told goodness. the church news when he was called to hey, be a general authority. As I was reading this article, I was thinking, this is a different generation. Such a different generation. She is like one of a dying generation of I've I believe wives to you know these yeah. brethren that serve that had that attitude exactly <laughs> as our generation comes up that is we're whiners that is gone that is gone I do not feel that way about being a church <laughs> but it's just a different time also the church doesn't ask as much of us yeah as it asked of that generation yeah and and which I think is is good. I mean, yeah. I think it's amazing and great the things that they did. And yeah. without the things that they did, the church wouldn't be where it is today. Exactly. But I, I think the church is in a place now where, you know, they've really simplified a lot and cut yes. out a lot of meetings and they we can stand on our own two feet without yeah. going to the extremes of 
move your whole family to Tonga. <laughs> Tonga. <laughs> and like live this life. Exactly. Um, you know, there are circumstances where things like well, that happen, but it's just a different generation. And she is, I mean, these women who lived that life and like supported their husbands and had that kind of attitude and that faith, like they are, they're getting older and they are, it is not like that anymore. No, And it's just good to have their stories. It's um, very good. Plus, I mean, on a parting note, she was the mother of 11. Mm-hmm. That alone, in my opinion, qualifies for her for sainthood. If you yes. birthed 11 babies and raised them and you didn't kill any of them. That is also something that does not happen in our generation. No. <laughs> so. No. You, are, you, you don't see 11 babies. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Okay, what are we? Oh, it's me. Be what? Yeah, it's you. Be what you have. Okay. Oh, this is a good one. This came out a couple of weeks ago, um, but we haven't talked on it, talked about it on the podcast yet um, because of all of the conference. But BYU announced about two weeks ago that they are going to change the way they do housing at Brigham Young University, Provo. Provo. Not the other BYUs. Hawaii and Idaho Um, are not changing. So BYU Provo has always had a requirement that while you were a student at BYU, you must live in BYU-approved student housing. That does not mean (laughs) on-campus. Like, they have on-campus housing, but then they have off-campus housing that has to be BYU-approved, and whoever owned the property had to maintain certain standards. I think about, like, separating... Boys and girls. Boys and girls by a certain, I don't know if it was number of feet, because I feel like, you know how they have a lot of those houses that yes. are split into apartments? I think they had to be all one, like a boy's house or girl's yes. house. You couldn't have an apartment of boys upstairs and an apartment, apartment of, of girls downstairs. Exactly. But if you had a big apartment complex, you could put the boys on one side and the girls on one side. Exactly. So they had different requirements. So you had to live in BYU-approved housing. Um, if you were undergraduate if, and right, single. Right. So now BYU has decided, um, starting in the fall of 2022, they will be getting rid of the BYU housing requirement if you are not a freshman. Freshmen still have to live in BYU-approved yes. housing. Which can be dorms right. or off-campus housing that is BYU-approved. So what I'm guessing is that off-campus housing being BYU approved is going to be a lot harder to find. Yeah. Because I'm guessing those landlords are going to be like, yeah, I'm done with you, BYU. We're out. We're not jumping through your hoops anymore. Anyway, I think this is a great, great change. Okay. Tell us why you think this is a great change. (laughs) Well, it's just been known around Provo for years that... um, you know, there's just not a flex, a lot of flexibility in housing. No. You have to get, you have to live in BYU approved. There's a certain small number of BYU approved. It's about a two places. mile radius and around be- the campus. Because of that, the landlords have all the power. Yeah. They can charge high rent. They can not fix things. I mean, supposedly, if you're BYU approved, they're supposed to maintain a standard, but <laughs> anybody uh. who has. <laughs> Resided. That is why I am wickedly laughing. Anybody who has resided in Provo in knows that there alleged BYU-approved housing. There's a vast variety of housing, yes, and quality of housing. 
Well, and you know, here's what I think will happen. I think the marketplace is going to correct some of those inadequacies because a lot of kids that go to college today have a car. And so if they have a car, they don't have to live within walking distance of BYU. Oh, right. Because that was the other thing to be BYU approved. I think it had to be within two miles of campus. Exactly. Had to be within two miles of campus. So now if I can live 15 minutes away in a nicer apartment where I'm going to pay less money, um, that's going to force, you know, some of those apartments that are in that core BYU area to uh, maybe improve. Right. They're going to have to fix them up. Uh, if you want to keep, mm-hmm. if you want to keep your tenants. So anyway, yeah. so yes, I, I think it is very much a win for the students. I think it's going to be great. So congratulations, BYU students. That's you're, right. You're about to have a lot more options. You're free, free at last. <laughs> but now you do have to maintain your standards. That's true. They were very clear to state that in the article. Yes. This does not mean you can go have like an apartment with... It, Two guys, three girls. Yes, you may. You still may so. not mix your sexes. <laughs> but I do think it's going to be really good for the housing market yes, there. I do too. My husband well, lived in a place where um, the apartment building was like up on stilts, like okay. like concrete, you know, concrete pillings, pillings, yes. and there was a parking garage underneath, and there was like duct tape wrapped around portions of these pilings under there. Oh, well, that <laughs> inspires confidence. His dad came to visit once and was like, is this safe? <laughs> is this where you're living? <laughs> this is where this is where your rent money is going to. <laughs> oh, and that's just, I mean, there's so many more. Oh, I know. There's so many worse stories than that. Of oh. Crumbling apartments. We could go on for days. <laughs> that actually did crumble. Yes. <laughs> Not just held up with duct tape. <laughs> anyway, so funny. All right, so our next story is about the church and microfilm. So the church and family search are celebrating an incredible milestone of digitizing 2.4 million rolls of microfilm. Um, So this was a massive project. Um, The church has begun, there was kind of an interesting article in this timeline. It was an interesting timeline in this article. This was a Deseret News article. And it stated that in 1938, the Genealogical Society of Utah, which is now Family Search, mm-hmm. uh, began to use microfilm imaging. Over the years, the microfilm collection grew to 2.5 million rolls. So as early as 1938, they began to gather microfilm. In 1998, Family Search purchased its first microfilm scanners and began digitizing the rolls of microfilm. In 2006, the project accelerated when software was developed. Um, in 2017, FamilySearch discontinued microfilm distribution at Family History Centers. In 2018, they added their last roll of microfilm. And in 2021, the last microfilm scanning was was completed. Wow. Now, what makes this so impressive is when the church began scanning all of this microfilm that they had gathered... They thought the project would take between 50 and 100 years, Mm -hmm. but it only took 15, which is amazing. And that was due to the rapid development in technology and thousands of volunteers who helped with this. And they now say that the records of more than 11.5 billion people representing over 200 countries and 100 languages are now accessible on FamilySearch 
which again is amazing. And they, they say, and this is very true, all of God's children benefit from mm-hmm. this. And um, we know that because you, while you um, have to be a member to, I believe, get on Family Search, you can get on, I think you can have a free account on Ancestry.com if you are not a member at Ancestry.com and Family Search um, mirror the records with the exception of the temple ordinances right. that show up on Family Search. And so, Anyone in the world who wants to begin to do some genealogy can start doing some genealogy. And they also talk about how much better the microfilm is because you, or the digitizing is because you can click with the mouse instead of scrolling and winding and reading and being confused by the handwriting. You can blow it up bigger. You're not getting your shadow in the way of light. And I can say I had to do some research this summer not 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 family history related it was related to a legal case i was working on and i had to go mm-hmm. back to some newspapers back in the 1970s that were on microfilm and i was like man i'm going to need a seasick pill to you know <laughs> as i'm scrolling through this microfilm mm-hmm. and how nice that would have been if it oh, had been yeah. digitized oh, so yeah. that's anyway amazing. that those numbers really are amazing they really are amazing and it's kind mm-hmm. of kind of mind blowing and so yeah. That's going to open, you know, a whole lot of um, of searches for people to connect to their ancestors. Okay. All right. Next, we have a Donnie Osmond story. I love a good Donnie. Classic twin sisters to have a Donnie Osmond story. We love story. Donnie. <laughs> so um, this was interesting. He's been doing a lot of press. He has a new album coming out. Um, 65th album. He has 65 albums? Well, I guess when you count all the ones that he did with his brothers and then the ones that he did with Marie. That's crazy. That is kind of crazy. How old is he? He's only 65 years old. No, what is he? He's probably 70, right? Yeah, I think he's probably 70-ish. Anyway, that's a lot of albums. But he has a new album that has come out, and so he's been doing some press. Um, a lot of press in London. The Brits love him, I guess. Yes, he is. He is very um, well revered over there in England. Yes, but one of these articles, um, an interviewer over in England that had interviewed him, he talked about um, he just like almost lost all of his like ability to walk. I and know. be mobile over the past couple of years. We didn't know. I mean, we were all during doing yeah. COVID. So, well, he talks about his last mm-hmm. show with Marie that he's yeah. out there on stage and he couldn't feel so his that arms. Was in the fall of 2019. Yes. And he said it was like their last Vegas show. Yeah. Couldn't feel his legs. Couldn't feel his arms and legs. Knew something was wrong. And I guess it was like an old back injury that he'd had years ago yes. doing a like dancing, a British dancing reality show where yeah. he'd hurt his back. And um, it was really starting to starting to affect him. So after the Vegas show, he had a back surgery and a neck surgery, and it said it went really well. But then he got a secondary infection. Yes, and like couldn't move. Um, almost sounds like almost almost was done for. Exactly. <laughs> but he well, ra- he rallied. And when he was trying to recuperate uh-huh. from all of that, because he didn't have the physical movement that he had, he sat in his recording studio and that's when he wrote and recorded a lot of these songs on the new, the new album, album because what else are you going to do? Yeah. So it said he just had months and months of rehab just to even walk again. And um, he said he got through it with his faith and positive thinking, and he gave a lot of credit to his wife for being by his side. Um, 
And then he did say it was a blessing in disguise because he was able to do a lot in his studio. And yeah. Now he has a 65th album. Which my understanding <laughs> so. is one of the singles from that is Climbing Up the Charts. Oh, really? I yes. haven't heard anything from it. I you? haven't heard anything either, but it mentioned uh-huh. in the article uh-huh. that one of the singles is Climbing Up the Chart. Now, um, uh, let's see. Right here. The first single, Who?, Soaring to the so the single is called Who and it's soaring to the top of the iTunes chart. Well, there you go. You better look it up. I better look it up. So, anyway, Donnie's okay. Well, that's very good. And I think he's starting a new Vegas residency where he's going to be solo, if I remember correctly. Oh, is he? Yeah. I don't think it talks about it in that Uh, article. I think I've just read about it. Right. Hmm. Well, and of course, if I have a Donnie story, I conversely have to have a Marie story. Well, they do go together. So, like peanut butter and jelly. Like peanut butter and jelly, <laughs> peas and carrots, Johnny and Marie. So, um, LDS Living has this podcast called All In. That's a really good podcast. It is a really good You've podcast. Listened to several I've of them, listened right? I've listened to several of them. And so recently they interviewed Marie. And so during that particular podcast, one of the things that they would ask her is, um, you know, she does a lot of press and a lot of media for, she's done that for years over the course of her career. And so they ask her, how do you be, how are you prepared for some of the really tough questions that you get? Because, um, she, uh, the interviewer talks about, you know, in the, in 1978, she and Donnie are being asked about blacks in the priesthood. And the interviewer says, more recently, I saw an interview with Joy Behar and she was grilling you all about polygamy and the Book of Mormon musical. And every single time you both stood up for the church. And she says, you know, has this been hard? And so Marie's response to this is she says, my brother Alan would always say, let the spirit speak through you. But first, be prepared and then mm-hmm. follow the spirit. And she talks about a response that she gave when the Book of Mormon musical came out. And she's, this is what she said, which I thought, wow, this is, this is so kind of brilliant. Mm-hmm. She said, you know what? A lot of people love it and that's great, but I don't really want to hear a song that, you know, says terrible things about God and his name. It's not me. Mm-hmm. And so I really liked that because she wasn't demeaning to the person that asked the question. She, acknowledged, she didn't get defensive. She didn't get defensive. Mm-hmm. She acknowledged, hey, some people love it. I don't care for it because of the message and how it hurts mm-hmm. something that I hold dear. Yeah. Well, there you go. So Donnie and Marie. Donnie and still Marie. Still at it. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, next story we have. This is from actually, I think the last week in September. Um, BYU had two national leaders visit. They did. Very prestigious. Came to the Marriott School to speak for various things. Um, The first one was American Red Cross President and CEO Gail McGovern. She came to accept an award through the Marriott School. Um, They honored her as International Executive of the Year. And so then she gave a little speech and um, was really praising the efforts of the church in regards to the Red Cross and donating blood. She said, we get 100,000 units of blood from the church every year. There is no organization, no institution anywhere that comes close to that. Okay, that is a lot of blood, 100,000 units. And I think, what did they take, a pint? 
Is that what you, they take? A, I don't know. I don't take. know. I haven't done any blood in a really long time. I haven't either. I'm afraid all my medication that I take would disqualify <laughs> me. Maybe I need to go attempt and find out. Yeah. Anyway, that kind of blew my mind that there's no organization that comes close to that. I was yeah. like, really? Yeah. Because you see people doing blood drives all the time, but I guess, I mean, if you count the whole church, I mean, we have yeah. just probably more than a lot of other organizations, such a large scale ability if you count all of the churches. But yeah, there's always a blood drive going on at a church. So Well, and you think about it too, and mm-hmm. and, and I don't know if this is going to cause blood drives to go down. Mm-hmm. How many blood drives have you known that have been associated with Eagle Scout projects? Right. Oh, tons. Lots. Yeah. And so now that- In this- fact, I do- well, and it's hard to say because COVID scouts, yeah. like it wasn't that long after yeah. scouts that COVID hit, but I do feel like I've seen less, but our stake still does. I feel like our stake still puts them on a couple really? times a year. Because I don't think I've seen anything uh-huh. from our stake on a blood drive. I, I think I, my recollection is all the blood mm-hmm. drives associated with my stake were all the result of, of an evil yeah, Eagle, Eagle Scout, Scout project. project. Yeah. But you know what? Our stake is always looking for, um, at least the stake relief society presidency humanitarian things to do. Mm-hmm. This would be a great humanitarian oh, yeah. thing to do for the relief society sisters mm-hmm. to sponsor a blood drive. Oh yeah. You should have to think about that. That's a good idea. So um, she just said that she has really appreciated over the years the connection between faith and service. Mm -hmm. And then um, this article actually talked a little bit about the church's long history with the Red Cross. It said that um, way back, you know, in pioneer days, it said it started with Emmeline Wells, um, who met um, one of the original Red Red Cross founders and established a relationship. way back in the early 1900s and um they've been you know friends ever since (laughs) so and then the second um prominent speaker that came to the marriott school at the end of september was martin luther king the third and um he came and gave a talk um to students at the marriott school and he also said that he talked about faith and service during his visit. Um, he said that his relationship with the church began with an act of service by church members. And there's a link you can go read about uh-huh. that story, um, about his the service that he had seen from church members. But he just talked about how much it does to build bridges of cooperation instead of walls of segregation um, when we serve and use our faith as uh-huh. faith and faith and service together. And um, that we can just be a powerful force. And sounds like he gave a very inspirational message to those Marriott School students. Love that. So, okay. The next one we're going to talk about is Worlds Colliding for Me. Um, Everybody knows if you've listened to this podcast (laughs) that I revere the governor of Utah, Spencer Cox. I want to clone him, and I want to bring him to Idaho. We could really use that right we now. We could really use that. In fact, many of you might oh. be aware that Idaho was in the news this last week politically. And Spencer Cox threw shade at us. Oh, Spencer Cox on Twitter threw shade at the us. next day. It was kind of amazing. I was like, "You earn it. You can shade our state. Exactly. We deserve that." Let me give you a little background. <laughs> our governor and our lieutenant governor are not elected on the same ticket. And while they both uh, have the Republican after their name, they are at far ends of the Republican spectrum, with our lieutenant governor being 
uh, ultra right wing and our governor being more moderate. And they are not playing nicely. They've never played nicely since the four of, since the two of them got elected. <laughs> this is not a new thing, but it's ramped up because she wants his job. So he leaves to go out of the state of Texas, uh, the governor of Idaho. And under our state constitution, when he's out of the state, she gets to be governor. And so she just kind of runs amok for about yes. 48 hours. And this is the second time she's done it. This she is the she did time. it last spring, too. So we really just need to tell our governor to sit his bum in the chair. He cannot leave the state for another year. Yes. And please <laughs> bubble wrap yourself because do not die. <laughs> um, anyway, and so they were the, the governor and the lieutenant governor were throwing shade back and forth at each other. And it was picked up by the national media. And so Spencer Cox had the funniest tweet. He had a picture of himself with his lieutenant governor. And he said, I just thought today might be a great day to remind everybody that I have the best lieutenant governor in America. It was hilarious and very well deserved. (laughs) Anyway, so Spencer Cox, every other year, hosts what's called the One Utah Summit, and it is a biannual business conference sponsored by him in support of policy, education, and infrastructure needs of rural Utah. Now, um, he grew up in rural Utah. This is something that is very near and dear to his heart. Um, every other year when they host this, mm-hmm. they have, uh, they give out what is called the Rural Legacy, Rural Legacy Leader Award. And this year they gave that to none other than Elder Holland. This is why my worlds are oh, colliding. Oh, yes. My, my, <laughs> my, 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 my fangirl love for Spencer Cox and who doesn't love Holland? Yes. He's a perennial favorite. <laughs> so this was hosted down in St. George and um, they did a whole thing about Elder Holland's life because, of course, he grew up in rural Utah. And then after they presented him the award and after they did this thing on his life, he sat down on stage with Abby Cox, who is the governor's wife. Who you also love. Who I also love. <laughs> a big fangirl love for her, too. Um, and she sat down with Elder Holland and Sister Holland and hosted a conversation with them and asked them about, you know, what they learned in growing up in, in rural Utah. And um, it was kind of funny because Elder Holland read what Latter-day Saint Apostle Parley P. Pratt wrote about the area, dubbed a wide expanse of chaotic matter. And um, just talks about Elder Holland in his youth and how his mother taught him to relate to people of every age and station in life because they would come across those people in daily life. And that in those small communities, they all treated everyone like family. And in many cases, they were family. And this was really interesting. So uh, Abby Cox asked Elder Holland about uh, mentorship. And he reflected on his opportunities to lead and help others. And this is what he said. If I had to do it all over again, I would let people make a few more mistakes. We underestimate a young person's ability and we overestimate their experience. What we need to do as leaders is let them benefit from our experience, but let them exercise their ability and their instincts. And I thought, wow, what just a really good thing. I I really thought about that in my parenting. That's exactly where I thought about it Immediately I was like, oh. Maybe I should take that for some parenting advice. I know because you know sometimes we want to go in and rescue our kids, uh-huh. and I think it's I think it behooves us as parents yeah. to do less rescuing 
and let them have experiences and suffer some consequences and, you know, maybe learn a thing or two. Yep. It's true. Okay. Well, next one we have, this is kind of old news. Everybody's probably heard about it as of now, but we haven't talked about it on the podcast yet. Um, Just the, the first presidency, I think it was around September 22nd, end of September. Yes. Again, um, asked for masks in temples and urged vaccination. Um, Just asking people to mask up in temples again. Okay. So we have a friend who works in our temple here and we were asking him about this this week and like, cause he works at the front desk. Oh, oh, this has got to be very interesting. We were just saying, okay, well, how's, how's it going? You know, masks again, which I think majority of people by this point in time already were. No, they really weren't. You don't think so? Well, no, because, you know, we're in the temple every Saturday uh-huh. night. Now, the workers in the temple were the required were to wear masks, but, but the patrons weren't. weren't. Oh. I, you know, I pass out clothing in the baptistry. That's uh-huh. one of the things I do in addition to fluff and fold. And I bet at best, maybe 10% of the people coming through the baptistry prior to this latest announcement in September had masks on. They just weren't wearing masks. Interesting. So tell me what he said about the front desk. Well, we just said, well, what do you do? Like, like, do you didn't, do you refuse someone to Mm -hmm. to enter? And he said, no, they've been instructed. Like you're not allowed to deny anybody entrance, but they have masks there and they ask you, you know, please put this on. And so we were just saying, well, what what would you do? Like, what if they don't put it on? Or what do you so do? So has he had anybody who said, mm, no, thanks? No, I don't think he's seen that yet. But we were saying, well, what do you do if they put it on, walk past you and take it off? And he said, we're not to say anything. Yeah. Like beyond that, they're not to yeah. say anything. And so my husband was joking and he was like, well, I'm going to say something if I see someone in there. And he was, <laughs> our friend was so funny. He said, please do. <laughs> like, oh, that's we would really appreciate that because we're not allowed to. <laughs> so anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Oh, yeah. I mean, I get it. What You can't, yeah. you can't force it. Yeah. But you could but certainly sure other, try. Certainly other patrons in the temple can throw shade at you. <laughs> it's kind of oh, like gosh. grocery stores and, 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 sir, and, uh, and, uh-huh. um, not service animals, but, um, uh, um, companion animals and people will bring their companion animal in and claim it's a service animal and the grocery store can't do anything. I've been known on more than one occasion to throw shade at people Uh, who have their (laughs) companion animal in there, their emotional support animal as opposed to their (laughs) service animal. But I don't know if I'd throw shade at somebody in the temple because I try not to be confrontational in the temple. That's kind of a rough place for that. I All hope right. there hasn't been any. Me too. Temple fights. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to one of our favorite segments, Mormons behaving badly. Oh, and it's so morbid this time. Yeah, month. it's so morbid. It's really bad. So first of all, last time we recorded, I don't think we had anything because the Mormons had been behaving themselves. Yes. Well, in the last 30 days, they have been behaving themselves It comes so in much. waves. It's it does. All, we've said this for years. Like, And... They go, they go in spurts. They go in spurts. And before I begin this, I'm going to give a trigger warning here in case anybody, I don't want to trigger anybody. We've, I've got four stories on Mormons behaving badly. Two of them deal with dead bodies and corpses, and two of them deal with sexual abuse. So if this is something that's going to make you uncomfortable, just fast forward to our favorite things. We had a couple slow months, and man, we went back heavy. Yes. So we'll do some very dark things. We'll, we'll start with the sexual abuse. 
And I want to say on both of these sexual abuse ones, these are alleged bad behaviors because nobody has pled guilty yet. So this is all alleged. Um, two things. First of all, there was a, a, um, former bishop who was charged with, um, sexually abusing a teen at girls camp. And this happened just this last summer at, uh, Reed Ranch Resort in Hannah Duchesne County. A 15 year old girl said she was alone in the kitchen when Robinson, her church bishop approached her at the time from behind, pinned her to the kitchen counter and inappropriately touched her over her clothing. According to the arrest affidavit, after a few minutes, she was able to turn around and face him at that time. He backed up and left the area. As soon as this abuse was reported, he mm-hmm. immediately was released and apparently he's left the state and moved to Idaho. Oh, really? Yes. Oh. <laughs> it doesn't say what part. So that again is alleged. The second one was actually a local one here in Idaho. There's a, a town called Nampa, which is adjacent to Boise. And um, there was a bishop of the 30th ward over there. And he was charged with um, sexual abuse of two girls known to him personally rather than through his church involvement. And the abuse is alleged to have occurred between 2011 and 2020. Now, here's what's interesting about this. This came out in January and he was immediately released. He was charged in April. On June 28th, he pled not guilty to the charges. And then the case was set for mediation in September. This did not hit the media until September. I am amazed. I know that it kept quiet for so long. So somewhere along the line, somebody got mad at something or other and released it to the media. That's, I think that's what fascinated me about the story more than anything else was how long it took before, before it, there was any media coverage of it. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to our morbidity stories. So, um, The first one, there is a show on oxygen that is called Accident, Suicide, Murder. And they... That sounds like an oxygen... It does sound like an oxygen show. show. (laughs) They are... They released an episode in September that focused on an incident that happened in Rexburg, Idaho that began in 1994. Uh, There was a father. His name was David. Lorraine was his wife and their daughter was Laura. And they were very active in the church, but in 94, they began to distance themselves from their LDS community. And by 97, the mother, Lorraine's brothers, requested a welfare check. They checked. Everything was fine. The next check came in 2001. Again, everything was fine. And the mom and daughter told authorities, hey, we can care for ourselves. In 2004, when the dad is at work, the officers go to his house with a search warrant. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure what the basis of that search warrant was. And at that point in time, the officers find the two decomposing bodies of the wife and the daughter inside the house. And um, they were able to determine that, like I said, the title of the show is accident, suicide, or murder, that I guess essentially this was a suicide. These women were very mentally ill and they basically just stopped eating. Mm-hmm. And, but he, he was charged with uh, several crimes, involuntary manslaughter, because he did nothing to stop this two counts of abandoning a vulnerable adult. Uh, he was given a six month rider. So, and finally, oh. my last one, we have a a funeral home over in Pocatello that was owned by a member of the church. 
And in that funeral home, there have been multiple licensing investigations, and they did one most recently because they received complaints that um, there was an overwhelmingly foul odor coming from the Downard Funeral Home. It did not just smell, but visible through the window open to passerbys was a decomposing body on the preparation table. The body was laid out on the table for several days in view of students at the nearby Pocatello High School. So that prompted an investigation which unearthed all sorts of inappropriate practices if you are in the funeral industry and he has subsequently lost his license. And he's a member. And he's a member. So yes, those are our Mormons who are behaving badly. And I knew, need to give a brief Chad Daybell, Lori Vallow update because we are the ones to listen to for your Chad and Lori updates. Um, just so you know, Lori is still in the mental ward. Uh, she hasn't been deemed competent yet to be able to have a trial, but Chad apparently is competent. His attorney did a motion uh, for change of venue to move this out of the Rexburg area. Mm-hmm. So yes, folks, the trial is coming to Boise. It's coming to our county. They have not said it yet, but they determined that Boise had a larger jury pool and the security at our courthouse would be much better than what is available over in the Rexburg Rex. area to control what they anticipate to be the influx of media for this trial. So when do you think this all happen? Well, I don't know, because currently there's a suspension of jury trials, obviously mm. due to COVID. Right. There's a huge backlog of jury trials, obviously due to COVID. Um, they are. This is going to be a trial that takes many weeks. Right. I'm guessing Do you think this, they'll sequester? Oh, yes, they are. They've definitely said they're going to sequester mm-hmm. the jury. I suspect this is at a minimum going to be a six-week jury trial. Whoa. And to carve out six weeks of an open felony courtroom at the Ada County Courthouse, that's going to be a bit of a challenge. Could be like a year from now. Oh, probably. I It wouldn't surprise me if it was even longer than that. Wow. So, Well, good news for us. I think we'll automatically be disqualified because we've publicly talked about them oh, so yeah, much. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I won't be too concerned if I get my jury notice in the mail. I was telling someone the other day, I said, I cannot imagine anything worse for me than being sequestered as a juror. No No TV, no, no internet, no newspaper. Like that is my lifeblood. (laughs) Like four walls in a room in a hotel. I'd be like, I'm going to kill somebody. This is This is going to last about 24 hours before there'll be a new murder (laughs) trial and it will be mine. (laughs) Yeah. It would be brutal. I can't imagine. I can't imagine either. So. All right. Well, All right. Should we do some favorite things? Sure. Let's do some favorite things we like to share. You know, just our favorites. Just because we're giving people, we like to tell you fun things we find. Okay. Mine for this month is another vacuum. Oh, gosh. I know I've shared a vacuum on here before. I think I shared my robot vacuum. Everybody's going to think we're obsessed with the floors in our house, which we kind of are. I am like a vacuum lady. Some people are cat ladies. I realized I'm a vacuum lady because I keep getting more vacuums, but they all serve a different purpose. I don't think there's any shame in that. And each one of them is important to me. I agree. <laughs> so this one is a Bissell. Okay. And it's like a stick, like a wand. What do you call it? It's a canister vacuum. Oh, okay. So it's like, it's not a stand up push it vacuum. It's canister and it has like a long hose and a stick. Okay. And it is the one that the Go Clean Co. Oh, we've talked about Instagram her. lady who we've talked about who knows all of the cleaning, you know, yes. sorcery. This is the one she 
loves. And so I just recently got it. She's been raving about it forever. And I just recently got it. I really like it. I use it. It's great for like dusting, cleaning blinds. She says, vacuum your bathroom before you do anything. Before you wipe anything, vacuum your whole vacuum bathroom with this stick, like the floor, the corners. Why does she, I always save the floors for last. Why does she say well, to do if, that first? If you vacuum it first, you take up a whole layer of dust and hair and grossness that then you don't have to wipe. Like when okay. you wipe your counters. All right. Well, that makes sense. I can, I can understand that. So it actually works pretty well. Dang. And it's really great for car vacuuming. So I like this little vacuum. Okay. Two thumbs up for me. Okay. What's your favorite thing? Well, my favorite thing last time we podcasted is kind of a little outdated at this point in time, because last time we podcasted in the lost episode, I talked about my, um, my summer hairdo. Well, we're kind of beyond summer, but my summer hairdo was, I like to pull my hair up and I had a scrunchie that was a fake piece of hair. She had her fake hair. I had my fake hair. And so when I'd pull it up, I put it in a bun and it looked like I had this really cute full bun because I have very thin hair because I'm old, (laughs) but you know, probably no one's wearing their hair up in a bun these days because you know, summer's gone. Right. Hair is down. So I'm going to choose two of my favorite candies that you can only find in miniature version at Halloween time. Oh, what's that? First of all, the Heath Bar. I oh. love the Heath Bar. And you can only find the little teeny tiny ones. They only sell those at Halloween. I have never seen them like in Walmart in the candy aisle. I never noticed that before. So those are fun. And, and because sometimes, I mean, I don't want to, I feel guilty if I eat a candy bar, mm-hmm. a whole big candy bar. But if I'm just grabbing like a little piece and I have like maybe a little piece in the morning, a little piece in the afternoon, that is enough to satisfy my sweet tooth without like sending my blood sugar through mm-hmm. the roof. The other one that I love, and this is so old school, is the Charleston Chew. The Charleston the Chew. Ch- I don't even know if I know what that tastes like. Are you kidding me? I'm sure I've had one before, right? OMG. I have one in my car. When we are done <laughs> recording, I'm still going to go out in my car and get you one. Here's the beauty of the Charleston Chew. So it's it's a nougat, and then it's covered with a thin layer of, of uh, milk chocolate. So you can zap them in the microwave and get them all soft and gooey if you want. Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't want to zap for any longer, like a couple seconds. Or you can put them in the freezer and have them hard. Or you can eat them in kind of the in-between stage. Okay. I love them. I'm going to have to try this. Yeah, that is an old school candy. It's total old school candy. but you You're can on only- the verge of like black licorice territory. Okay. <laughs> Oh, I am deeply offended. This is not even close to black licorice territory. No, 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 no. Now, if we were talking big hunk, that would be close to black licorice territory, but not the Charleston chill. Okay. All right. I'll try it. I'll, I'll withhold my judgment till I try. I can't believe I've never given you one of these. I am so neglectful as a sister. Yes, you are. Because not only do they come in the vanilla nougat, they come in the chocolate nougat with chocolate coating or a strawberry nougat with strawberry coating. I'm back in. (laughs) But I've only been able to find the little mini vanilla ones at Halloween time. All right. Well, now I'm intrigued. Yes, I will will try one of those. Okay. So those those are my favorite things this month. Okay. There you go. Halloween. All right. Well, I think that about wraps us up tonight. Twim Nation, thank you so much for joining us this evening. We hope that you enjoyed our show. Uh, And as always, if you have any questions or comments, you can email Jeff at thisweekinmormons.com. Uh, or it should be contact at thisweekinmormons.com. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, 
And if you really want to be a wonderful supporter, $3 a month, Patreon supporter, helps us keep the lights on, we would appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening.